0: hello everyone welcome to pull back the curtain a philly theater podcast on this episode we have the amazing pax wrestler hi pax
1: hi margo thanks so much for having me
0: of course i'm so excited to have you on today um you are a creator composer performer designer educator music director You do so much, Um, so it's great to have you on the very first episode of this. I'm very excited. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do?
1: Sure, of course. So my name is Pax, and my pronouns are they, them, and I live in Philadelphia. I'm based here in Philadelphia, which is unceded unceded Lenny lenape land. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm a performer, a composer, a music director, and I often say that I work at the intersection of theater and music, as well as arts and advocacy. And uh, my work kind of spans a lot of different uh, types of theater in Philly, like comedy and musical theater and devising. Uh, so it's kind of all over the place. But Philly is a place that I feel really grateful to be in because you don't get too boxed in and you can truly do it all. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel lucky to have some variety in the work that I do um, for it to be uh, a lot of it to be in community with lots of other folks um, and to be that to be at the center of my work to building community.
0: Yeah, that's great. I have only been in Philly for three years, but I know it's an amazing place to be. Um, and you've been here for how long? Five years, right?
1: Yeah, I think it's around five years. It's a hard, nice. to, wow, that's kind of surreal. <laughs> um, but yes, I still feel like very early career in lots of ways that um, sure. I'm just kind of like entering this this scene that has been going for so long. But yeah, I think it's been around five years.
0: Nice. And you've worked at several theater companies in the Philly area. How did you get involved in theater in general? And then what brought you to Philly?
1: I feel like my arrival in Philly was kind of a fluke in the sense (laughs) that I went to school in Indiana at a Mennonite college in Goshen, Indiana, which is a 10 hour (laughs) drive away. And I really wanted to be closer to home. I was tired of that long drive. Um, And home for me is Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Um, about an hour and a half away from Philly, I decided that I was going to live somewhere closer to home, closer to family because that was important to me. But I wanted to be in uh, like an urban setting, in a city setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I was looking around Lancaster to see where I could settle down, and, and Philadelphia was just you know the most convenient, the largest city. And I knew nothing about the theater scene here, um, but I got really lucky again in the in the sense of this being a really lovely and diverse and generous theater scene. Um, so I kind of landed in Philly on, on a fluke and then got involved um, by meeting really exciting people, um, especially Amanda Morton, who at the time worked at the Arden Theater, um, and we had mutual friends, and, and she got me really excited about musical theater in the city and, and meeting a bunch of people, and then I, um, I did the apprenticeship at the Arden, and that was kind of my start <laughs> at, um, in, in th- Philadelphia Theater, uh, and all of that um, I feel really grateful for
0: yeah, we've talked about how um, you did the apprenticeship at the Arden. I was an intern at the Arden two years ago now and how that is very much like a home or at least my introduction to Philly theater was the Arden. So it's definitely a special place.
1: Yeah, lots of wonder pe- wonderful people there.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then I want to turn it to the Gender Funk Philly Instagram a little bit because it's a great Instagram. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, it actually really helped me in this podcast, especially in looking at what other non-binary artists are in the Philly theater scene that we don't really get to see a lot of, but are out there. Um, what inspired you to co-garden the Instagram this year?
1: Totally. Yeah. I'm so glad that you were able to use the Instagram in that way, because that is one of the purposes of the Instagram is to be a showcase for trans and non-binary theater talent in Philly. And I created this Instagram with Desi Tibbs. And our goal was simply to give a platform for these artists to share their work and for producers to find them. Our tagline is, don't say you couldn't find us, we're here, we're come (laughs) funk with us. And and the purpose is just what what you did. You can go to this um, Instagram and in the highlights, you can click on directors and you'll find all the trans and non-binary directors who we featured on our page, for example, and any other um, theater category that you might be looking for. Um, But we're especially highlighting BIPOC artists because that is important in our theater scene in terms of equity and providing a platform where trans and non-binary people are seen and recognized on their own terms and in their own words, which we felt was important. Everyone you see on that page will be featured and they'll have their own words about um, the work that they do and about what is important to them.
0: That's great. I love that it's gaining traction too. I've seen more followers grow. It's a great Instagram and the handle is at Gender Funk Philly, correct?
1: That's right. Yeah. Awesome. Please come find. Everybody go
0: follow. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And then moving on to more about you as a non-binary artist. Are there any misconceptions about working as a non-binary artist, whether that's in Philly or just hmm. in general?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think something that I would love for more folks to understand. Is that non-binary people and non- non-binary artists can tell more than non-binary stories? Yes, <laughs> I think of course we should be at the helm of telling non-binary stories, and that is so rare. Uh, so at first, I think that is the bare minimum, right? That mm-hmm. that uh, that we would be employed and in leadership positions when those stories are being told. But I also wish. Um, that trans and non-binary people could be seen and valued in telling all kinds of different stories. I think trans and non-binary folks who are comfortable with it should be cast in cis roles, should be behind the table for those stories, because um, something that I often say is that um, trans and non-binary artists are unique in that we are in the constant act of creation, Mm -hmm. and that it's the creation of our own personhood in a society not built for us. Many of us had no no other choice to become the artists of our own identities. So we have a lot of skills to offer in terms of people who are like very creative (laughs) and have had to be out of necessity. Um, So being boxed into only trans or non-binary stories and it only being about that identity piece is something that um, I think is a struggle for folks, especially cis folks to understand in our industry. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, we're still struggling with the problem even of, you know, being able to tell the stories, our own stories, without them mm-hmm. being co-opted or um, told by other folks, by cis folks. So yeah, mm-hmm. there's a number of like different things and uh, misconceptions that we need to tackle. And I think those conversations are starting, and I think we have a long way to go.
0: Yeah. And I think that's some of the great work that the Instagram has done, at least, is like I said, for the podcast at least, showing that there is this talent available. So you mm-hmm. can hire these artists that are just right there waiting to be used um, and uplifted and have their story told or have other stories told. Right, it's exactly. Right there.
1: <laughs> yeah. And these folks are, you know, really talented in what they do, experts in, in what they do. Um, so having the opportunity, I, I think this should be twofold, right? That mm-hmm. um, That theater companies first program and cast more trans and non-binary stories mm-hmm. um, with the people who are most affected and um, and create space for trans and non-binary people at all levels of their organizations mm-hmm. when they're That's telling great. trans and non-binary stories and when they're not.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's something um, I was just reading your article. It's a non-binary awakening in Philadelphia um, from 2018. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. her HowlRound.
0: Very, yes. From how around, um, seems like a long time ago, but yes, as a, it in 2021, <laughs> um, but I was very struck by something that you said here. It's I've yet to see theaters that amplify non-binary voices and narratives go beyond visibility and representation. I want to see them championing and empowering non-binary folks to take the lead on managing images, plays, and media about themselves at every level of process. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think in summation, that's, that's what the goal is, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, if, and I I, I want to say that this isn't just about justice. This is about mm-hmm. making the work better. This is about mm-hmm. like, having a like a, a more authentic artistic um, experience that an audience can come and see a story told by the people who are most affected by that story. So more than just justice, it's about authenticity in the work. It's about artistic expression that comes from a real place.
0: Yeah, yeah. And do you think... Things have changed between 2018 and now. Have you seen a little bit of that in the (laughs) community at least?
1: (laughs) I I think so. But I think actually in 2018, I was a little more jazzed. I was a little (laughs) more like, you know, uh, 12th Night had happened, which was this big, splashy, genderful production Mm -hmm. taking 12th Night and kind of... uh, like putting a modern gender lens on it, which was such an exciting concept by Jack Tenbury and other folks. Yeah. Um, and we all had a lot of ownership in that process and in, in writing new lines for these characters and in shaping their identities. Um, and that was heard by a modern audience and really resonated, I think in West Philly where these things are very common, uh, these yeah. identities and, and these lived realities are very common. Um, so I was really jazzed about that project in 2018. <laughs> and I think I've yet to see like a lot of theaters um, do that kind of work in their space. Um, so I don't think as a ton has changed since then. Um, there are companies like the Bearded Ladies Cabaret who have mm-hmm. always been doing work around gender and around gender diversity, around um, yeah, showcasing all kinds of different talents and stories through their work um, and centering BIPOC artists. So yeah, I think it's happening. It's happening mostly by the companies who have already been doing it. I would love to see it in the regional theater model in a yes. bigger in a bigger way.
0: Yeah, definitely more widespread. Right. Yeah. Wow. And then one more question before I turn it to completely about music. <laughs> um, do you have any challenges working as a non-binary artist and how do you overcome them?
1: Uh, yeah, I there are definitely challenges. And I think maybe they're threefold mm-hmm. uh, or at three different levels. I think for a lot of non-binary artists, and I'm talking about myself here too, that... Mm-hmm. Um, I think it can simply be hard to get in the room. Uh, mm-hmm. The challenge of uh, there being a slot for you and not being uh, you know, the token uh, non-CIS person that mm-hmm. uh, can be in that room. Uh, I have a friend, Bailey Roper, who uh, has, has, is just a brilliant person and they talk about not wanting to be the only trans person on a project anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really appreciate that concept and I, I like, want that to be my reality and I feel... That, that's so rare. That is incredibly rare in my experience to be um, one of many or one of two even uh, mm-hmm. trans or non-binary people in a production. So getting in the room is hard um, in, in terms of just being selected or casted or approached for a certain creative position. Mm-hmm. And then the second level of that is the feeling of comfort in the room having a sense of comfort in the room is a difficult thing. And it often requires trans and non-binary people to do the work to make it a brave space where there's shared accountability and vulnerability, where uh, pronouns are honored, where gender is understood and named and acknowledged in the space, um, and where there are like, uh, you know, there's a whole laundry list of things that a theater can do to make it a more trans and non binary affirming space, including, you know, uh, comprehensive and inclusive bathrooms, including like dressing rooms, including how we talk about gender in the space. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all of those things contribute to like trans and non binary people's sense of comfort in the room, even if they got through that first step of getting in the room. Sure. Um, yeah. And then, if all of those things are in place, let's say we get to level three. <laughs> There are still challenges in terms of navigating gender in the piece of art that you're working on, yeah. and by that I mean uh, cis expectations of gender and the gender binary in that piece of art, um, whatever you've been tasked to work on, and navigating that with a mostly cis creative team, which I've never worked with a mostly trans creative team. So, oh, wow. um, uh, and yeah, that's 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 not uh, that's not true for everyone, but mm-hmm. uh, in Philly theater, that is incredibly rare. Um, yeah. That's something that I've never experienced. And that I look forward to, I think it will happen. But uh, yeah, the third step is like, okay, and actually doing the work and doing it equitably and uh, and just being able to be an artist uh, where where those identity pieces aren't the like sticky ground between you and cis folks. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, the, it feels like three tiers to me and each of them has difficulties.
0: Yes. Yeah. Especially, yeah, if you get past the first two tiers, there's still the whole work in front of you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's similar for lots of marginalized communities. I know this isn't um, just uh, just something that trans and non-binary folks experience. Mm-hmm. So it seems like there's work to do at all levels of our theaters yeah. um, to make that possible for marginalized folks to come into processes and, and just be able to be artists, you know?
0: Exactly. I think that's something that at least I have a background in stage management. I think the stage manager's role is really important for that at least in making sure things are accountable. Mm, Um, mm -hmm. And like one of the first productions I worked on where we actually used pronouns when introducing each other was a very warm environment where the stage managers were holding everyone accountable. Um, We had check-ins. We had an intimacy director. It was Mm. very comfortable. Um, And there have been productions where I have not felt comfortable. And as a woman in the room, too, Mm -hmm. I very surrounded by a lot of, uh, male designers. (laughs) Um, so I definitely get that comfort factor. Um, and especially going forward, I hope I work with more (laughs) non-male designers.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, It's such a need. I definitely agree with you that stage managers are like, are folks who can really, um, champion that, um, Mm -hmm. that work. And yeah, and so many of them do. And my desire too is that they'd be supported by the theater um, and have like administrative support and education and whatever they need to do that work. And Mm -hmm. directors, clearly we need directors who who are um, culturally competent, who are trans competent. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, all of that is important. You said something else that I wanted to, (laughs) that was so, yeah, that inspired me, but I forgot. About
0: pronouns or- um, Oh yeah, I mean like- And that was 2018 too, I think.
1: I think that's around the same time that I, like in a regional theater, that was the first time we shared pronouns in a room.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and
1: that's, yeah, it's 2018. That's kind of shocking that it's that late. Yeah. Um, we need, yeah, we need caucus spaces for folks, for for women to get together and to make theater together. We need trans and non-binary people to be able to have caucus spaces too. Mm-hmm. But when we are together, um, yeah, there needs to be a lot of uh, like education and um, competency in navigating uh, theater making together.
0: I like what you said too. And even though the stage manager can be such an integral role with that, it cannot be just on the stage manager. It has to be such a team effort. And I've seen productions that have been so great, but then maybe the theater is not as involved and then it falls apart. Um, So you really need that input from everyone and comfort from everyone involved.
1: Definitely. And I think that's where it goes from an individual, you know, like we don't like experience discrimination on an individual level. It's a mm-hmm. systemic level where yeah. if the theater is not actively, you know, working to counter their biases and um, internalize prejudices and uh, to to educate themselves about these marginalized communities, um, yeah, it has to be on a systemic level as opposed to just the stage manager being able to helm that by themselves. Yeah. yeah.
0: And kind of turning it into your career as well, um, at least with music, um, you kind of talked about how you work at the intersection of arts and advocacy. How does that intersection of arts and advocacy come across in your work? And how do you use music as a vehicle for advocacy?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. And <laughs> when one that, one that uh, feels kind of nebulous, like it's both yes. aspirational and it's, and it's something that I think is a part of every piece that I do. And that's maybe you know simply simply some of it is identity, just being a non-binary person in the room and and having to do some education or having to to um, to talk about my identity as it relates to the kind of work that I'm making. Mm-hmm. One example of that is uh, is the album I just released, Change, which is an album of non-binary love songs. Yes, where it felt really important to me because in my life I have not had um, almost any representation of non-binary couples or trans couples, folks who are not cis in love with each other. Um, and I did wanna be expansive in how I was thinking about love on this album, but uh, but I really have zero representation of non-binary people <laughs> in any kind of loving relationship. Yeah. So in this album, it was important to me to to actually just provide some of that music for my community. And um, and when I started writing, it was like, oh, this is just flowing out of me. These, these songs needed to be written. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that feels like one example. Genderfunk Philly is a manifestation of arts and advocacy in action, um, mm-hmm. providing a platform where underrepresented artists can um, show their work, can be hired for work. Uh, I've also done work with the organization Philly Thrive and an organization called Pink Menno, using music as protest and finding our community's songs together as, as a way to um, supplant and uh, perpetuate the movement. Um, I think artists are so wildly valuable to movements. And part of why that is, is that we have creative skills to offer that, uh, build community together, that project a message, whether it's music or theater. And those things are are super important, um, both to the morale of the movement and how the message gets across to other folks.
0: You do music um, with a church too, right?
1: That's right. Yeah. That's another manifestation of arts and advocacy um, in that community, it's been so awesome to meet on Zoom during the pandemic um, and to have a, a group of folks that we're coming back to every week and thinking about how to, how to be better um, workers for justice in the world. Um, and that's really the focus of Tyronaco United Church, the church that I work for. And music is a big part of how we sing about and, and share our values with one another Mm -hmm. that it's sometimes easier to sing it than it is to speak all the words that we want to say around what we value. (laughs) Definitely. Um, So believing in justice, believing in in the work of the kingdom on earth uh, for us as Christians means um, stepping up for the marginalized, means centering prophetic voices on the margins. Um, And yeah, that's been a really helpful place to be during this time.
0: That's great. I love that it's not just your career, it's also in every part of you is music. It's fantastic.
1: Yeah. Hopefully like (laughs) trying to marry those things all at the same time, which also feels kind of like the breaking down of binaries in the same way that I think Mm -hmm. about with gender is like, how can we break down other binaries in our life of where advocacy lives or where music lives, for example? Yes.
0: And how has being involved in theater for, what did we say? Five years. (laughs) Um, and the projects that you worked on in those five years, how have they changed your perspective about that intersection of theater and identity in the industry or identity as a whole?
1: Right, yeah, that's fascinating. I, I really wanna hear from lots of folks on that question.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, see,
1: <laughs> I do see more and more theaters understanding the importance of telling stories that depict the lived experience of folks in marginalized communities, mm-hmm. um, but those shifts are not happening quickly enough it seems clear that we need more BIPOC artists at the helm of their own stories and in leadership in theaters. And we need trans and non-binary people having ownership of their own stories. And we need cis producers and leaders to make space for us. And I think we need to trust audiences that they want to hear the stories of marginalized communities. Mm, And that part of the experience of theater is a window into someone else's story and lived reality. And I don't want to hear this excuse anymore that, that putting stories of marginalized communities on stage doesn't sell tickets. I think we have lots of examples in the last five years of, of theater productions doing just that, selling out uh, who have all Black casts or who um, who really like are centering a gender lens in their work or um, or have lots of trans and non-binary artists mm-hmm. involved. So I, I really don't think um, we should use audiences as the scapegoat for why a dynamic, diverse, um, art can't happen I think audiences are actually ready for that kind of work and what we need is producers willing to take on um, these stories and to do them well and equitably
0: yeah and just listen to what's out there everybody yeah. is ready yeah
1: I think creative artists are, are speaking up and and yeah theaters listening to to what those artists are saying and giving them resources and platforms is the next step
0: yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like we're making a plan for the future. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> if only we could.
1: Yeah, in, we are a in part 2021. Of it. <laughs> for sure. I feel great that, yeah, like each individual artist can do something. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm glad to feel like I'm a part of that work. Clearly, we need each other. Um, mm-hmm. But even just saying these words out loud, I think, is a part of that work um, and finding community where we can build some of those resources and platforms for artists. Yeah, which is so much of what Genderfunk Philly is about, which is so much of the work of 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 folks talking on the Philly Theater page, that kind of thing. Yes. I'm I'm grateful for for the ways in which folks are building community and building movements in that.
0: Yes. Way. Yeah, I think reminding myself especially at this time of this is obviously being recorded during the pandemic, we are isolated. I think I've missed a lot of the collaboration that goes with theater. Um, And just reminding myself and reminding other artists that collaboration is at the forefront and is so integral to everything we do in art. Um, And there was a while, I think, as a student where it's, especially as an emerging arts leader in a student educational perspective, it seems very competitive. Hmm. But then when you pull back those layers and see in the very focus and the very heart of it is it's about collaboration and working together and building that community. And I hope that that's what listeners can kind of take away from this too, is that it's all about who else is around you and who you can work with and who, whose voices you can uplift together.
1: Definitely. Yeah. That's a great way of saying it.
0: Hopefully we will get there together. I kind of want to turn it to Philly theater now too. How would you describe Philly theater (laughs) in the year 2021? Is it do you think our community is doing really well? What do you think can be improved? What are your just general thoughts about mm. it?
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a really big fan of Philly theater. I'm really grateful and glad to be here. I'm a big uh, advocate and, and uh, will tell anyone that it's great. I think mm-hmm. at its best, Philly theater is a reflection of a community with values and the desire to create a better world at the center of that work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we know that we are not New York and we don't want to be. Um, and our theater is not a strictly commercial or tourist enterprise. It's a reflection of the humanity we see around us and the vital stories that we want to share with the world. Um, and I think that's part of what makes Philly so special and the kind of theater we can offer. Because we're a small theater scene, we have the ability the ability to pivot quickly and mm-hmm. to evolve in our own theater making. And I think it also means as a small community that we can have some like conversation and conversation accountability around harm done, mm-hmm. that, um, that un- unlike a huge theater scene where no one knows each other, we are a small community and that um, we can have shared values and we can have ethics around the work. And all we need to do is um, is create that together. We have yeah. um, the people to do it and we have a small enough community that uh, we can build those kinds of um, justice projects in our work.
0: Yeah. The,
1: the favorite products, the projects that I've worked on in Philly have been really collaborative um, and perhaps devised work where our full humanity and identity was welcomed in the room and we were creating from those identities. And I especially feel this in spaces like the Bearded Ladies Cabaret, which mm-hmm. is a queer experimental, experimental theater in West Philly. Um, and I want to see more theaters making space for gender artists, artists um, to center BIPOC artists and their work and to invite artists to their full humanity and their identity into the room. And to not see it only as the work of justice, as I was saying before, but also something that makes the artistic work excellent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then on top of that, there's just other bonus things that we need <laughs> to do, like, like pay equity and transparency for all our work. And, and that's not a bonus. I shouldn't say that. It's, it's very important. And I want theaters to stop asking artists to work for free, to mm-hmm. stay in their good graces. I want us to be a community that communicates and where there is accountability. Um, yes. And where we can change not only the uh, behavior of people, but the systems that facilitate that harm.
0: Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. <laughs>
1: yeah, there's tons to improve. I I love this community and I love um, uh, like all the, the things that I've experienced here have been really positive, most of them. Um, and I know that uh, there's so much more work that each of us needs to do as individual artists and the systems mm-hmm. that we need to change. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm thinking about Philly theater in general and how interconnected everything is and how looking at what I knew freshman year versus what I know now in my senior year is so Mm. different. (laughs) I just, I was so scared about Philly theater. I thought it was going to be a commute, just another, you know, New York. And like you said, it is not New York. It's very community-based and we care about each other. It's very interconnected. And Mm -hmm. I'm glad that that's what theater is like here versus anywhere else.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. As an educator in a university setting, um, I often see students like very much just interested in New York and not super Mm -hmm. interested in what Philly has to offer. And I'm so excited to hear that like you're paying attention and that you're looking at what Philly is doing. Is this where you uh, want to stay and do work?
0: I think so. Yeah.
1: (laughs) That's awesome.
0: I sure hope so. I can't really imagine being anywhere else after being here for, four years. So
1: yeah, you build all these relationships and you've gotten to know the city. Like it seems yeah. awesome that you could build on that after your years in college.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And thinking about too, um, students like myself, where my program kind of coins us as emerging arts leaders and to those students like myself that are maybe graduating or looking to be management positions or work in art in Philly, especially, what do you want those managers to to know? What do you want those future emerging arts leaders to know about theater?
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. From my experience, Philly is a really generous theater community and it's here for you. Um, and there are people who will be happy to talk to you and share their knowledge. Uh, like you were saying before, Margot, I think it's about looking for those people, finding your community mm-hmm. um, and building that with people who you trust. Um, and I think Philly is special because it's small and we know each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can be exhausting uh, that it is so insular, but it also creates uh, the potential for change on an industry-wide scale. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, I just encourage folks like to be uh, an artist with integrity and to bring people along with you. And like you were saying, reach out and find your community. That's, I think, some of the things that have made Philly really special for me and really a fruitful place to live and do work.
0: Yeah. And I'm looking forward to that being even more fruitful in the coming years, too, as we make these strides towards more equity and just, I don't know, getting in the room and reaching that comfortability level and examining the art in different ways. Definitely. And just to wrap up here, what are you working on now that listeners can, I guess, view virtually, listen to virtually? (laughs)
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. A couple of things. Uh, I have a, like a comedy parody project with Justin Yoder called art isn't easy, Mm -hmm. which uh, has been on hiatus, uh, for reasons that are probably (laughs) very understandable, um, during the pandemic. Uh, but, uh, we are thinking about just like making some new stuff and, and spreading some joy. Um, I'm also writing a play about saying goodbye to past versions of myself through the lens of losing a friend to a cult and my Mennonite great grandmother's sex life, um, <laughs> which I'm very excited about, uh, and may just be working on for many years. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, and I'm working with the Bearded Ladies Cabaret coming up, um, writing a song for their Rose Project, which I'm excited right. about too. Yeah, I also like a dream of mine is like I want to start a choir. I, I have some yeah. time right now, and I'm like, I like, I want to start a virtual choir that like. We'll sing together online, and then like someday we'll be in person together. I think <laughs> you all I'm really meet each other
0: for the first time that's exactly great. <laughs> like
1: singing with each other for the first time in the same space. Um, and I think that's that's something I'm missing the most right now. Is mm-hmm. something that I think is the best of what humans do is make music together, especially when it's as intimate and as personal as singing together. Um, and yeah. that our heartbeats are beating at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah, I'm missing that a lot, and I'm really craving that kind of creativity right now.
0: Yeah. Well, if you like what Pax said today, reach out to them
1: yes, <laughs> and maybe please. we can
0: make that choir happen.
1: <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah, please uh, <laughs> reach out and feel free to contact me. I'm especially glad to hear from trans and non-binary folks who are looking for community. Um, I, uh, I have a Facebook, I have a website, paxwrestler.com and I, Pax Wrestler on Instagram. Great. Um And please check out Gender Funk Philly on Instagram as well.
0: Awesome. And where can listeners, um, if they want to listen to your album? Or oh can yeah. do that?
1: I believe it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's Pax Wrestler.bandcamp.com. The great. album is change. It's a 10-song album of non-binary love songs.
0: Awesome. Sounds great. Like Pax said, you can check out more about their work on uh, their website, Pax Wrestler.com, and all links will be in the description of this episode and on the at the Pod Instagram page. Awesome. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Pax. You're the first one. Um, I really appreciate your openness and your passion that you have for the non-binary and genderful community in Philly. And I wish you all the best, especially with the genderfunk Philly Instagram.
1: Thanks so much, Margot. I really am grateful for you doing this work and for, for creating a space for folks to talk about what they're passionate about. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening and supporting pull back the curtain a philly theater podcast if you would like to support the artists involved with this project please donate to the gofundme linked in the description of this episode thank you to our top level donors katrina chavez stephanie smith brandon wiles and joe and doreen catalona a special shout out this week to donors alexi harbour and chris mckevitt thank you so much and much love to both of you